are you going to do about all of the businesses and homes damaged by the flooding? I assure you we'll be making it right and rebuild one day at a time. How do we know something like this isn't going to happen again? As I explained, today's events happened due to failure in one of our automated maintenance systems. We've isolated the issue and we'll share more information as soon as it's available. When will that be? Goodness sakes. Excuse me. Get me out of here. Time for one more caller. Allison, you are live on Automation Show. Thanks for calling. Hi, guys. I um, I don't have a question as much as I just wanted to share. I appreciate your motivation to get to the bottom of this. Thanks, Allison. Yeah, thanks. A lot of people are hurting right now, and we don't know what's going to happen next. How to get help. Whether Mayor Goodway is going to step in to help with the flood damage. Oh, boy. I mean, how does something like this even happen? We totally hear you, Allison. There are a lot of unanswered questions right now. Anyway, that's all I've got. Thanks to the both of you. In some ways, you're the voice for many of us who don't feel like we have a voice right now. Wow. Thanks for the call, Allison. This has been a challenging day, to say the least, for everyone in Automation Town. For now, hang in there and stay safe. Ooh, I'm beat. What a day. I think you guys handled that as well as you could. I need to get out of here. I have some family I need to check up on. Absolutely, Paul. Yeah, get out of here. See you tomorrow. What just happened? I don't know if I'm more concerned with what actually happened or with what we saw under that Capitol building. That room full of people? Yeah, those creepy police with those face masks. I've never seen police like that before, have you? No. So you saw the initials JM in that make scenario, right? That has to be Jake McCringleberry? It has to be, that Manuelsburg mayor. I mean, the whole ominous vibe taking over the show, being an overture. It would lead you to believe it was him, right? Yeah. So who do we tell about this? Should we tell Paul? The mayor swore us to secrecy. Maybe we talk to the mayor. I don't know. Nothing else is getting settled today. Let's get out of here. Talk to you tomorrow. See ya.
Get off. <sighs> Who's a good boy? Drop it. Well, today can't be any worse than yesterday, right? All right, come on, come here. Hey Steve. Morning, Rebecca. What's that, Chad Davis? Hey, Stuart. Oh, <laughs> Morning. New message from Paul. Chad, I need to remember to show you something cool I built and adorable last night. Hmm? TTYL. Would you like to reply? Mm -hmm. Paul sent a new message. Airtable, laughing out loud. Oh, that's that, that, okay. When life gives you lemons, sometimes you need a database to organize them and tag them by type, sort them by uh, sourness. Attach pictures. Attach pictures. So today we're talking adorable. Airtable. 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 And why it's become one of the most popular automation apps for automation wizards and normies alike. This week on Automation Town. Hey, Chad. Hey, Jason. Made it through your morning without any calamities thus far. So check this out. Is that Paul? Yeah, he built something in Airtable. You believe it? Oh, fantastic. Is that Paul's first automation? I think so. Honestly, Airtable is a great place to start. I'm glad to hear Paul's diving in. I still use Airtable pretty much every day. You remember how you got started with Airtable? Uh, no, but I remember how I feel using it and I'm just as happy now because I actually understand some of it. But it is one of those apps you pick up and you're like, oh, this is kind of familiar. It's kind of like a spreadsheet, just like super powered. Uh, do you remember yours? Yeah, probably a similar context. Honestly, the way I stumbled into it, which is probably relatable to a lot of spreadsheet users, is it looks like a spreadsheet, but you don't totally understand what is different about it until you get into it. And honestly, what made me dive in was probably FOMO. Like I was seeing a lot of other people talking it up that were excited about it. And I'm going, why do I need anything beyond what a spreadsheet does? So I think my first step was just kind of intrigue, like to try to understand what this will enable. Yeah, and then you start 
playing around. You're like, okay, these tables, they look like worksheets inside of a spreadsheet. Oh, yeah, I can add one here. I can add a second one. Oh, I can link stuff between the two of them. It becomes super familiar that, okay, I've lived in these spreadsheets for all my life. Now, how do I link things here? And then you start learning Airtable lingo. And I remember, like, what's a linked record? What's a roll-up? And I think what drew me into Airtable and kept me there was how easy it was to find out what those terms meant, whether it was on the screen with little help tooltips, links to examples, really well-designed videos through sort of like the Airtable education. It was just so easy to pick up. Yeah. And then when it starts to work, whatever you want to define work as, the light bulbs go off really quick when you're using Airtable. All the data types felt familiar. Like for me, they lined up really with the same sort of data types you use in a spreadsheet. When I got into it and I didn't really have my head around what's the difference between a database system and a spreadsheet, I think oftentimes I tried to use it as a spreadsheet. And it sucks as a spreadsheet. It isn't a spreadsheet. It's a totally different thing. And maybe that's where to start. What is, what's the difference between, say, Excel, Google Sheets, something like that, and a database system like Airtable? I can remember, I don't know if your brain's wired like this too, but when you think about searching something in a spreadsheet, you're probably thinking like VLOOKUP or XLOOKUP or HLOOKUP. You're thinking like, how can I match this one thing with something somewhere else? When you start to think about that in database terms for Airtable, you're like, oh, that's really like not a thing that happens here. I think the easiest way to think about this is that you grew up, you're using, maybe sometimes you're using paper, like when you're writing stuff down. Like, to me, digitizing paper is a spreadsheet. Yeah, it's like freeform, bohemian, anything goes. Anything goes. No rules. Except there's rules of like what type of data you can keep in the spreadsheet. A little bit of rules. A little bit of rules. <laughs> so maybe the difference between like the spreadsheets and the databases is that the databases have a lot more flexibility with the types of data that you can use all within one record, whereas a spreadsheet is kind of linear, right? It's like the text, the links, the stuff like that, that it just feels more one-dimensional than the database, which might have like a multi-dimensional approach to how you want to access the data and what type of data it is. That could be a, the most ridiculous explanation, but what do you got? How would you describe it? Kind of two levels to how I think databases differ. The first very basic level in my mind is, if you use the analogy of a spreadsheet, you still got rows and columns and your rows are instances of a thing, and your columns are what are the properties of that thing. So if your Airtable base is an employee roster, every row is an employee, and every column is a property of that employee, first name, last name, email, address, t-shirt size, and you lock down those columns much more than you would in Excel to enforce a certain structure on that base. Because generally databases, you're building automated things around. So if something else is expecting a number and it gets Idaho, something's going to break. So you don't want that. So you need more rules than you have in a spreadsheet system, which, you know, spreadsheet can be anything. Kind of the, I guess the second level of depth to that and what differentiates a database system is, I think what you were alluding to is the relational aspects of a database. Mm-hmm. So to build on the example of an employee roster, 
Maybe all of those employees have a manager, but there's still another employee on that same roster. So if you've got 10 employees listed there and my manager is Steve, you can have a column that references who's Jason's manager and it points to that other record who is Steve in the same table. Maybe it's a separate table that's teams. I'm on the sales team and there's you know, a production team or something like that. That can be another way of building relational databases where everyone is associated with a team and these different teams live in this other table and teams have their own properties and people can inherit things from teams uh, and that thing that they inherit can live in that other team table. So yeah, you've got kind of, you use the analogy of one dimensional versus multiple dimensions. That's like the big, like powerful upside of databases, I guess, is, is the depth there can be. We flip this back to like automations. What is, what are we trying to do when we're using a database? It's probably because you get stuck on a spreadsheet somewhere or it's kind of shiny and you're playing around with Zapier or you're playing around with Make and they say, okay, would you like to integrate with like Google Docs or Office 365 or Airtable? And you're like, oh, what's Airtable? And then you start looking into it and you realize the search parameters and the actions and the entering views. Like it's so easy to use versus a spreadsheet where you might have to write some more complicated automation work in order to get something to work. It just feels like a natural progression in life to start using databases over spreadsheets when you, you know, hit those certain circumstances that you talked about earlier. But, you know, outside of teams, there could be things like project management and CRM work and e-commerce and HR stuff. It's really powerful. So if you're thinking about like, hey, should I be using Airtable and you have never used it before, when you start building it in a spreadsheet and then you build the exact same thing in Airtable and just play around with the automations, it's almost guaranteed that the ease of use is going to be with Airtable once you get your hang of it a little bit and you just enjoy it more when you're doing the automations. Yeah, you said something in terms of the ease of automation. It's like a spreadsheet's probably easier to create from scratch because there are no rules. But when it comes to automating a spreadsheet, there's no structure there to automate. And so I think actually automating a database system is quite a bit easier because there's a really, I guess, locked down set of rules for what type of stuff you can have in there. Mm -hmm. Totally. That's why you have such a, I guess, a mass appeal with Airtable is most tools like spreadsheets like are for like finance nerds and accountants and stuff like that. Airtable, you've got like marketers, you've got real estate agents, like anybody and everybody. A good thing to talk about, I think, it's still pretty abstract. Why do you need a database system? Like, why does this come up so much? Why would a marketer need something like this? I just think about things like, like events. A lot of the examples that you see in Airtable, they have something called Airtable Universe. And it gives you a lot of exposure into examples of what other people have done with Airtable. And like a really common example is, hey, I'm running an event. I have vendors. I have parking to deal with. I have bills. I have acts to arrange. I have contact information I need to put in. I need to share this with lots of people. Mm -hmm. We've all probably been there where we try to do this in the Google Sheet. And then access to the sheets might be an issue. And looking to see who can edit what might be an issue. But through Airtable, 
you might just give someone access to a certain view and that view might be just what you want them to see. And that's like, I know we're getting into like the details of Airtable a little bit, but being able to manage what you want to manage with the right people feels like that natural progression of moving from a spreadsheet into a database. Yeah, views is probably a, a good place to, to jump into more Airtable specific stuff. So if the most basic version of an Airtable is akin to a really locked down spreadsheet, you got a whole bunch of rows, a whole bunch of columns, views are kind of the first step in slicing and dicing that in a more contextual way. So for example, maybe I only want to see the people who are on my team. And so we have a view that is just filtered by everyone who's on the sales team. So I can only see the three or four people rather than the entire employee roster. And so maybe that's all I'm able to see or all I want to see. So cruising through the different types of views in Airtable, the most basic one that you spend most of your time in, I think, is just the grid view. So it's it's got a spreadsheet look, just a table. Mm-hmm. Uh, what other views we got? Calendars. Calendar views. So if you have date fields, and you obviously have to have a date field, maybe all those employees had a start date. Mm-hmm. This is a terrible example. But you could have a calendar view, and then it would you would just have each of those records show up on the day that that date field had. Or we go back to that example of the like the concert or the event. Yeah. You might want to move people around. What I really like about Airtable's calendar view is like if you need to move somebody from one day to another or mm-hmm. one hour to another on the same day, it's super easy to do that just by dragging and dropping it. You can't really do that in a spreadsheet very easily. And then that sort of graphical interface It's just so welcoming to new users, which is why I think so many companies are adopting something like this versus a spreadsheet or an insanely expensive project management system. This is kind of like that easy lift in the middle where you can get a lot of that enterprise-y stuff for a fraction of the cost. Calendar views are a great example of the fiddly little things that Airtable does that makes your life way easier. Calendars can be synced to external calendars, Google calendars, Office 365, all that stuff. Mm -hmm. So if you create a calendar view in Airtable, you can then use that calendar anywhere else and all the normal apps where you use calendars. Yet at its core, it's still that like grid view table of data. But if my colleague Chad is moving scheduling around, stuff like that, all that stuff is happening, I can still see all that data in all the other calendar systems that I use. Mm -hmm. Okay, more views. The biggie, <laughs> form. Forms. I don't know that it was until Airtable that I really made the connection that like, oh, forms are really just a way of getting structured data into a table. Say you've got this event again, but you don't know the license plates of all the buses that are coming. Maybe people are coming in vans or RVs or whatever, but you need to get this information for their VIP parking pass. You could use an Airtable form that's sent out to all of the you know, approved vendors and acts, and they can have their special form. And once they become approved or they make their payment, you know, the form is sent to them, they fill out their stuff, their license plate number, their make and model of their car. And you've got so many options now that the form has been completed because now your data is sitting in a database in the right format that you want it to be in, including maybe like formatted phone numbers and addresses and names and all that kind of stuff. And then you can run automations that might print out 
the parking pass or mm -hmm. design the image of the thing or create a QR code for them to get in for their day. There's just so much you can do. And having that form built right into Airtable is one of the easiest ways to get that structured data in right to the system. So form view, all it really is, is if you look at all of the columns or fields that you have in your base, those are all potential inputs in a form. So if it's an employee roster, you have first name, last name, email, then your form fields in a web form are first name, last name, email. You don't have to include all of the fields. So maybe we just want first name and email. You can drag some of them off the form view so that you don't capture all those things. You can make some of them required or optional, just like in a regular form builder. But it's an easy way to get all that structured data into one place where then you can build other cool automated stuff around it. If we hit the other ones really quickly, I think one of my other favorite ones is Kanban, right? Just being able to move stuff around mm -hmm. into different categories or statuses or things like this. Like your card view where you've got kind of columns for each status, started, not started, that sort of thing. And you drag them horizontally. Yeah, kind of like the old Podios and uh, Trellos of the world. Trello, yeah. Yeah, that kind of stuff. Uh, you've got timeline and Gantt charts, like all kinds of new stuff that they've released in the last couple of years. The best way I think to get familiar with this is to just realize that like there are limitations in spreadsheets all over the place. And if you just if you try the Airtable base with one of your spreadsheets, you can import the spreadsheet to start. Then start looking at the different views, start looking at where your data may not make perfect sense and just start fixing the data and then looking at it and using it in different ways using these different views. Jeff brought in muffins. Ooh. How many are left? Let's wrap this up. Uh, last few rapid fire items. Sharing. Any view in your Airtable base can be shared with external users, like read-only access. So you can have 100 views for one base. There's entire products that are built on this right now. They're literally just a view of an Airtable base that you pay to get access to, but sharing, super powerful. Like Softer and Stacker and all kinds of good ones. You also have their new interface designer. So if you want to look at your data in a different, more customized way. If you're a paid user of Airtable, you'll have access to these interfaces and be able to create dashboards and inputs and just different tables in a way that uh, is unique to you. Yeah, kind of like a light app builder with your data sitting on top of it. Mm -hmm. Anything else that's uh, pretty important to chat about with Airtable as we wrap this up? Probably the last big one from the last couple of years is automations. So it's like a Zapier-like automation builder mm -hmm. so that you can set up a trigger. So let's look at the triggers, for example. Anytime there's a new submission from a form, anytime a record changes, you've got all these different triggers that can then kick off follow-on events. Those follow-on events can be updating another record in Airtable. It could be sending an email. It could be a whole bunch of different things. Any real useful ways you're using this right now? Yeah, I think this was a massive lift when I started playing around with automations because normally when you're playing with databases or spreadsheets, you throw them out to Zapier or Make and that's what does the automation piece. Zapier is pretty smart. They're like, hey, maybe you don't need to go use those apps for these common use cases and we'll give you triggers and we'll let you work with webhooks and we'll let you say, you know, when something comes into a view, go do all of these things. So I ended up replacing a lot of the Airtable Zapier and Airtable Make automations where it might be doing a calculation or grabbing data from somewhere else mm -hmm. and just putting it right into Airtable because they let you have up to a hundred on a free plan. 
up to 5,000 automations on the $10 plan and up to 50,000 automations per month on the $20 plan. So wow. you got lots of options. They're building out these native integrations more and more every day to just cruising through this list of actions real quick. Send a message with Slack or Teams, send an email either via Airtable or via your Gmail or Outlook. Google Calendar, the whole Google suite of apps, Salesforce, post a tweet, Facebook pages, send an SMS with Twilio, whole bunch of native integrations there. But I know one thing you and I both do is you can also run a script. And so there's a little sort of scripting block in Airtable you can use. And the way we generally have used this is to call a webhook. So a webhook is a way to kick off anything and everything, a zap, a make scenario. So you can have within Airtable a trigger set up when a record changes, when there's a new record. And then the webhook is kind of like the ultimate Swiss army knife to send all that data anywhere else and do something with it. I learned this uh, the hard way. If you're on the free plan, you can't use those scripts though. Oh, wow. You got to be on the paid $10 or $12 monthly plan in order to be able to run those scripts. But, you know, to take this into like a really practical automation story, if you are using automations inside of Zapier and Make, you can typically choose how often you want that to run, whether it's every hour, every day, every three days, every whatever. Mm -hmm. Using those webhooks makes things instant. So I think you're right. Being able to take advantage of that sort of like more advanced application of using Airtable automations is going to make things go super fast for you. It's, it's a massive lift. So if you ever wanted to you know, look into that, that's, that's a really good topic. Okay, we got to get out of here before all the muffins are gone. I'm hungry. Thanks for the lift. You bet. Oh my gosh, hey, Chad, Jason. Hi. Oh, I am such a fan. Hey, nice to meet you. Gil, Gil Blankenship. So great to meet the, <laughs> whoo, the automation show boys in the flesh. Nice to meet you, Gil. Say, quick question. We've got to head in and start. I need to run some custom reporting out of my QuickBooks file. Hey, it was great to meet you, Gil. I but... want to pull a few numbers from my balance sheet and income statements each month. Not entire reports. What's the best way to do that? Well, QuickBooks doesn't really do that. Nope. Have you looked at LiveFlow? LiveFlow? LiveFlow. LiveFlow? LiveFlow. It's a tool that'll connect your QuickBooks to Google Sheets. Why would I want that? Because it syncs your QuickBooks reports over to Google Sheets on an ongoing basis. Okay. So now you've got this live updating data from QuickBooks getting pulled into your Google Sheets, and it's pretty cool. Then you can reference those cells in the table throughout your entire Google Sheet. So I want to pull eight numbers for my financial statements each month. Yep. I sync the QuickBooks reports to Google Sheets. Then create whatever report you want in Google Sheets and just reference the cells from the financial statements to pull in the numbers you want. Well, that sounds like exactly what I want. Okay, gotta run, Gil. You boys are the best. Automation show, woo! Yikes. Font door. Whoa! What was that? Check this out. Font door. Whoa! Motion sensor? Yep. Like that Colin guy asked about a few weeks back how to track foot traffic. Yeah, YouTube kind of inspired me to start looking at this stuff a little more. I actually had four old smart home monitor sensors I bought a few years ago and never set up. So 
I've got one on the front door. Front door. I put one over here on the machine room door. Don't move wood block. Very nice. Hang on. The men's restroom. The John. That's pretty weird. And another one on the spooky metal door inside the machine room. What does that one say? It just says spooky door. It is a spooky metal door. So you've got the sensors. How's it get into your phone though? So you remember pushover? What was that one? Okay, we talked about it. That was the app you can run mobile notifications through. Yeah, so the motion sensor triggers IFTT. If this, then that. Then that triggers pushover to send a notification to my phone with a custom sound. Wow. So where does Airtable come in? It logs a timestamp in Airtable. So I have a log of every time the motion sensors were tripped for all the sensors. Paul... I am like a proud daddy. They grow up so fast. That's really cool, Paul. <sighs> Thanks, guys. I just, I couldn't sleep last night, and I needed to feel like I was doing something productive. I'd set up these sensors a few days ago, but I just started using Airtable, and I figured that maybe I could use it for something like this. Yeah, that's great. Airtable's great. Okay, just about that time, boys. Let's get to it. Okay, guys, in three... Welcome along to Automation Show. I'm your host, Jason Statz, here with Chad Davis. And I'm Chad Davis. It's been a rough week for the people of Automation Town. Maybe tonight we can spread some fun, some automation cheer. Autotunities. Oh, gosh, some opportunity. Let's see what we've got. Patty, you're alive, Patty. Hi. Given that some of us are dealing with water issues right now, I wonder if you've ever built any automations around the weather. Ooh, that's an interesting one. I remember one of the earliest Zapier stories I heard was about a landscaping business that set up automations around the days that it would rain. Genius. That's, that's amazing. Like they were running their scheduling around that. Have you ever actually built anything around weather stuff? Uh, so, yeah. Um, you know when you're just starting to play with stuff, you're like, oh, what can I get access to? Well, when I was starting to learn... If this, then that, the IFTTT, they had a connection into Weather Underground. Yeah. So like with IFTTT, you can see a lot of like what other people have built and you can share all these different applets. Okay. One of them was, if it's going to rain tomorrow, send a text. I was like, cool. I want to know if it rains tomorrow. <laughs> so I set it up and then I started getting texts about the weather if it's going to rain tomorrow. And then you were like, why did I set this up? Well, the problem is that I kept moving different places. <laughs> and oh. <laughs> it was like annoying because I'd have to go and change it all the time. All right. <laughs> uh, what about you? You ever play with weather? Not much for me. I'm kind of an indoorsman, so it doesn't really matter so much. For Patty's use case, actually what you just said may, may be helpful. Whether you use IFTTT, I know Zapier has a Weather by Zapier app. So in Zapier, that would look as simple as your trigger being every day at 5 p.m. Send me an SMS with SMS by Zapier that says what the weather is going to be for tomorrow, whether it's going to rain. Maybe you maybe you actually filter it by whether it's going to rain or not so that it only sends it when it's going to rain. Mm -hmm. But man, for businesses that work outdoors, if you do roofing, if you do landscaping, I'm sure there's other businesses that work outside, but that sure seems like it would be a helpful thing to have. Yeah. I mean, when I think about like this, this whole weather stuff, when you think about that, that first example that you said, like this, this landscaping company that uses the weather, like what could they do? 
is it anything about offering promotions if it's raining or just using unused capacity if they don't, if, if, if it's like not a nice day? Like, what, what are you thinking there? I think their use case was to like do some proactive sort of capacity planning. Like, is there work that we were planning to do that we're now not going to be able to do because it's raining? And so that sort of triggers you to shuffle the schedule. In a perfect world, you could automate the follow-ons. So like based on a certain weather outcome, XYZ needs to happen and it follows that all the way through. I think in their case, it was just kind of a heads up to shuffle things around if they needed to. Before we move on to the next caller, I wish I could call in because I ran into a big problem with tides. So I was trying to find a way for- Do you want, can we, Paul, is that something we can do? Can Chad, can Chad call in? You got their number, right? Hi, I'm Chad. I have, I have a problem. Hi, Chad. I have a problem, Jason. Um, so my daughter likes to surf, and I can't find an API that will tell me when it's a surf over a certain meter or foot. Oh. Can you, get, can you help me? <laughs> I don't know. Man, it seems like that would be a thing, right? Well, there's apps for it. But to actually like try to do it yourself and and find these APIs, there are some in the US that you can use. So it could just be that I'm horrible at searching tide APIs and just couldn't figure out how to how to get it to work. But like that just seems like something that should be completely available and then you can run this stuff off of. So if there's anybody that knows how to do this, let us know. <laughs> be really helping me out. Yes, yeah, it kind of seems like regardless of where the RV is. I mean, if there's apps that are telling you, here's what the waves are going to be, those apps are getting that data somewhere, right? So there's got to be an API that those things are sitting on top of somewhere. It's just a matter of finding it. Mm-hmm. Okay, who else we got? Uh, Jack, you are live. Thanks for calling. Howdy, boys. I've always been a Windows guy. Using Microsoft and Office 365, I hear a lot of cool things happening under Google Workspace but the notion of changing is super overwhelming. Where do you two land on which is better? Or which gives you more automation opportunities? It's a good question. This one comes up a lot. Google versus Microsoft. Which one's better? Does it even matter? That's a really good question. Does it even matter? I don't have the answer. I don't think anybody does. But I know a lot of people make their living consulting on one or the other. Uh, but very few do it for both. Uh, I think that just goes to show that there's opportunity for both in the world. And I don't know, there's all these memes out there that say like, oh, the techie cool kids use Google and the stuffy uh, corporate types use Microsoft. Yep. But that's not true. There's there's a lot of techie mm. people using Office 365 and there's a lot of corporate people still using, you know, Google and education and universities and stuff like that. I think you can overthink it. Totally. I think people definitely worry about being on the wrong side of that fence when it's honestly like if you're at like level 100, maybe it matters. But most of us are like fumbling our way from level 15 to level 10. Mm -hmm. Are you playing with any Microsoft automation stuff? Because I kind of live in that Google Zapier make Google Sheets kind of world and haven't played around a ton with like Power Automate and the Microsoft suite and everything that's that's happening there. Do you do you live there at all? I do. I've historically I've been a Microsoft user more than a Google user. And they are doing some interesting things now around RPA and and they have a, a Zapier like product and they're getting better every day. But 
Google's doing the same thing. Google rolled their own version of Airtable. So I think everybody's kind of like pushing more or less the same feature sets. Mm-hmm. Everybody's got their Slack clone now. Like everybody's kind of settled on like, here's the core apps that you need to run a business. And they all kind of have their own spin on it. We even stumbled into this in the templates episode, moving down the path of Google templates. And it's like, oh, it looks like Office 365 kind of has their own same version of that. Mm-hmm. So I would say my advice would be don't overthink it. If you were starting out tomorrow, honestly, like the thing that's going to work best for you is probably the one that you already have some comfort level with. That's great advice. Hope that helps, Jack. And let's chat with Mateo. Mateo, how you doing? Uh, hello, my name is Mateo. I am the waiter at the Krusty Baguette. Ah, uh, we ran into you a few weeks ago, didn't we? Oui, oui. I have a uh, question about our QR code menus. Uh, we have a couple location uh, around the town. And we want to track uh, how many times the QR code are being scanned at the different location. Yeah, it makes sense. Do you know if the QR codes you're using are dynamic or direct? Let me see here. Let me find my login. Uh, the one we are using has something to do with a monkey. Is that QR code monkey? Let me see. Uh, yes, QR code. Did you feel Shh. that? Yeah. Key. Okay, my eye out. So QR code monkey is an example of a system that offers dynamic QR codes. Ah, thank you. Thank you very much, Chad. Hey, uh, next time you come to the crusty baguette, I give you a creme brulee um, on the house. Okay, so let's look at the difference between dynamic and direct QR codes. I think it just, it has to do with like the management of it in an actual application. So think about this. You set up a QR code. You might, on a direct example, go to a website, say, I want this to go to my website. And the QR code gets created, and what's embedded into that is a link to your website. Cool. Everybody that's used those is is probably using the same with like restaurant menus, etc. What is going on? What was that? However... A dynamic QR code is one where that link that it's embedded to actually looks to your system or the system like QR code monkey. And power surge? I don't know. I mean, it almost felt like like, I feel shaking. It allows you to keep updating things without being limited to that one URL that was originally linked to them. That's the end of What in the world is... Is that an earthquake? Get under your desk. Oh, my coffee. What? Paul, watch your head.
That was weird. Is everybody all right? Uh, Paul, can you get us back online? Um, hang on. I'm not sure. Sure. Are we live? The broadcast light's on. Oh, we're on. We're on. We're on. Sorry about that, folks. Little technical difficulty there. Looks like we've still got callers on the line. Let's take one more. Katie, you are on with Automation Show. How can we help? Oh my gosh, I'm on. Hello. I'm so totally hooked on your show. I love the idea of automating more stuff, but to be totally honest, I haven't done it before, so I'm not really sure where to start. Is there a specific app or specific workflow you'd suggest starting with? Thanks so much. It's a million dollar question. Where to start, Davis? Thank you for the call, Katie. That's a great question. I don't know if this is more about like which app should you use, but it's more about how you approach this. So a lot of people will say, hey, I don't know what to do, so I'm going to get a Zapier account or I'll get an Airtable account. And they just kind of play around. Mm -hmm. I might actually go the opposite way and say something like, what do I not want to do? What am I doing that just feels like it could be automated? Yeah. And sometimes that's risky because you don't know what you don't know. But if you know that you're sending out an email manually 14 times a day, or you're putting data from one place to another 15 times a day, you probably could automate that. So if that's the case where you're moving data from one place to another, you might start with Zapier. See if you can connect those two apps, play around with it. If you're sending out those emails, again, maybe start with Zapier. But if you're moving things between spreadsheets or there's just you know a, a form that could be created, maybe that's when you go to something like Airtable. How do you think about this? Uh, I was stuck between Zapier or Airtable, but a better way to think about this may be more task-based. So Chad and I like to go to YouTube to like figure out what's a way to automate X, Y, or Z. So maybe start with the problem instead. So start with, I get this recurring email and I have to process it somehow. What's a better way to do this? Start doing some Googling, looking on YouTube. The reality is there's probably a number of ways to automate it, but look and see how people are doing it. What tools are they using? And maybe start there uh, because like picking up a tool for the sake of picking up a tool doesn't necessarily solve a problem. So maybe the better way to start is what's a problem I have and how are other people solving it? Cool. Thanks for the call, Katie. That is it for us from Automation Show tonight. The people of Automation Down, keep hanging in there and stay safe. And we're off the air. Okay. We're off for real this time. Is it just me, or is there a lot happening in Automation Town these days? Oh. What is it? Buzz is pissed. Oof. I mean, it was hardly our fault. I don't know what that was. Do you guys think it kind of felt like a machine? A machine? I don't know, like something mechanical? What could it even be, though? I mean, remember the machine room. That wasn't coming from the machine room. The metal door inside the machine room. Oh, you mean spooky door? Spooky door. You think there's something behind the door now? I told you. This entire building creeps me out. When I first set up my office, the paint was still drying on the walls, but that machine room looked like it hadn't been touched in years. Yeah, I just... I don't get it. Look at this. 
No seismic activity within a thousand miles of us. You just have a seismic activity app on you? No, I th it's the internet, Dave. <sighs> right, so it wasn't an earthquake. We should do some research. There must have been something here before us. Before us? Before the Grumley Center. Do you remember what was here before? No, beats me. Well, I gotta go deal with Buzz. Paul, you go figure out what that monster is living under the building. Chad? I'm going to sleep. You go to sleep. Stay safe out there, guys. Automation Town is written and produced by Chad Davis and Jason Statz. Edited by Paul O'Mara. Keep up with the characters of Automation Town on Twitter. At Automation Town.